Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast today on the pod. Fiscal tightening as the drumbeat builds for another interest rate hike. We look at the impact on your bottom line. As a new survey suggests, one in three Canadians can't cover their bills. Plus, a stolen goods paradise or a vital outlet for locals. We look at City Hall's move to shut down the downtown east side street market. Plus, should e-scooter users be required to have license plates and carry liability insurance? That's all next on the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Now, new economic numbers released by Stats Canada today show employment numbers in Canada rose by 60,000 people. That's amid a gain of 110,000 new full-time positions last month that marked the largest increase in employment uh, since January. Now, today's report was the last major uh, economic release before the Bank of Canada announces its rate decision uh, on Wednesday. Uh, Now, analysts are divided on whether the bank should raise rates by 25 basis points, as it did in June, or wait until September to make that move. Now, this week, the C.D. Howe Institute's Monetary Policy Council recommends that the Bank of Canada raise interest rates to 5% on July 12th. That's next week, so that's a quarter-point increase. The council further recommends that the bank keep that target uh, at 5 percentage points at least until January of 2024, then reduce it to 4.25% by July of 2024. So it gives you a sense of how tough it's going to be out there for a lot longer than people suspected. Now, the Influential Council does make recommendations to the Bank of Canada. Joining me now to discuss the issue is William Robson, the C.D. Howe Institute's CEO and chair of that Monetary Policy Council. Mr. Robson, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Good to be here. Uh, the C.D. Howe Institute's uh, Monetary po- uh, Policy Council says the Bank of Canada should raise overnight rate to uh, 5% uh, next week. Uh, can you sort of walk me through the thinking of that council and, and why they think it should, it should be going up? The short answer is that the economy is continuing to do better uh, than expected, the, the council didn't expect to see rates go this high. And in fact, last time round, uh, the council uh, front runs all of the Bank of Canada's interest rate announcements. Uh, they weren't looking for the bank to hike, uh, but it did go to four and three quarters then. And I suppose the council's view this time kind of validates that. And they didn't have the jobs numbers that just came out this morning. But uh, if they had seen that, I think it would have just made the view stronger. So there, there's good news um, in that Inflation has come down quite a bit from its peak, uh, so we're we're moving in the direction that people wanted to see. And in a sense, the strong economy is is more good news. I mean, ideally, what you'd like is to see inflation get right back down to two percent uh, without going through a recession. But when the group looked at just how strong the economy is, they thought unlikely that inflation is going to continue to decline all the way back to two percent without a bit more restraint from the Bank of Canada. So that's why they called for a hike. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess uh, when it comes to even inflation or interest rates, you know, to, to do the first little bit, like let's say go down from 8% to 4%, that is a little easier than going from 4% to 2%. It's that last mile that, it, from what I can tell, seems to be the real challenge uh, for the Bank of Canada. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, inflation surprised everybody by taking off the way that it did. And people's expectations didn't really adjust to that. I mean, for a lot of people, the most obvious prices, the ones that influence your sense of where things are going are uh, at the grocery store and at the gas station, and those will go up and down. But when people are thinking about sort of longer term, if you're a business, if you're, uh, if you're bargaining for wages, it's those expectations of what's going to happen over uh, two to three years that make a difference. And I don't think anybody was saying, okay, it's going to be eight and then maybe 10%. Um, so uh, to your point, um, now we're closer to the level that a lot of people might say, okay, I can see this going on for a while. For the Bank of Canada, that's a critical consideration. If they uh, think that after so many years of inflation expectations, I mean, most people were ignoring inflation. It was low enough. People who forecast for a living uh, were, were saying 2%. And so that was a pretty comfortable situation for the Bank of Canada. Uh, now they're concerned that uh, you know wage growth has picked up, which if by itself is a great thing. I mean, we all want higher wages. Mm -hmm. The difficulty is that there's very little business investment happening in Canada. There's residential construction happening, but uh, business plant and equipment isn't uh, uh, doing at all well. And what that means is we got pretty slow growth of productive capacity. So if demand's roaring ahead, uh, but uh, productive capacity in the economy is not doing so well, then you've got ongoing inflationary pressure. So that is a concern. Uh, what? Is, how much of a challenge is to dropping um, the inflation numbers f- further down? How much of a challenge is our high gas prices playing in all of this? Well, they do matter for everybody's pocketbook in the short run, uh, so people pay a lot of attention to it. And one of the things that has helped a lot as we've declined from the peak has been that uh, gas prices have come down, um, but. Uh, when you look ahead a little bit and these things, the way Statistics Canada measures it, they feed into the CPI with a bit of a lag. Um, that's not going to be so helpful over the next little while. Of course, if you're if you're good at forecasting uh, oil prices, then uh, you can make some money in the market. For most of us, it, it goes up or it goes down. But there's reason to think we're just not going to see as much help from uh, gasoline prices uh, over the next little while. And one of the concerns... Uh, just, uh, you know, speaking of energy more generally, one of the concerns that came up in the conversation was that there are these constraints to the uh, uh, Canadian economy's ability to produce more. And many of them do have to do with energy related policies. So if, if you're if you're going to have a lot of constraints uh, with with people not being able to uh, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm expanding a bit on what the group was saying, but the, the gist of it is there's a lot of plans to electrify things. There's a lot of plans to phase out the use of fossil fuels. Uh, all of that requires a lot of investment. Um, and in the, in the medium term, it could mean a few shortages. So the concerns that the group had about the Canadian economy's ability to produce and, and, and the kind of ongoing inflationary pressure you might get uh, as a result of that 
uh, we're only near-term concerns. It, it, it's, it, the, as you look out further, you can see reasons for a lot of concern there. One thing I should quickly comment on, I mean, Vancouver sees this in a big way, uh, uh, is, is that there's a lot of um, immigration into Canada right now. Population's growing quite mm-hmm. nicely. So there's a sense in which that adds to productive capacity, but it certainly has to demand as well. It adds to demand for housing, uh, a, a lot of other things. And, and without more investment, without more business investment, kind of equipping those new workers with the tools they need to be productive, um, that's, it's, it's hard to see how you can really get inflation back down to 2% um, without, without seeing, you know, without damping growth in the economy a bit. Um. Is this a soft landing still? I mean, we talked in the past a year ago. There was often there was talk of a soft landing. Uh, more and more, and 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 I'm speaking from a layman's terms here, but this seems to be a bit of a hard landing too. I mean, each time these rates do go up, it does impact the ability to borrow money or to carry debt. Uh, it, it seems to me whether it's going there's an increase next week and the one following after that, uh, maybe two this year, and then we start uh, heading the other direction slowly. This is a, a more of a harder landing than I think most people expected. Did they not? Well, the the increase in interest rates that now this group, is, uh, you know, the monetary policy is calling for, and a lot of forecasters are, are expecting. Yeah, that is more uh, than than what people had anticipated. Um, the the in, in a in a sense, just sort of going back to what I was saying at the beginning, this is a good news scenario if you look at. Uh, what what economic force forecasters how they've been revising their forecasts over the last little while they've been upping their forecasts for growth but they've been keeping their forecasts for inflation the same so that's the kind of scenario you'd really like to see play out if the economy can keep growing I thought we'd be in a recession by now if it, if I go you know go back a a year and a half um, so it is it is a good scenario we're in and so far it seems like we've had a a fairly soft landing um if you look for example at what's happened to the housing market uh higher an interest rate increase uh, like the one we've seen since uh the bank of canada and and fed started hiking it's really remarkable i mean uh, people haven't seen that sort of thing in decades the housing market did soften a little but now it seems to have, have hit bottom and, and it seems to be ticking along better than people were expecting. So overall, uh, we have had a, a better combination of growth and inflation than people were expecting. Um, but you always have to worry, uh, are there cracks below the surface? Uh, and in, in the case of the mortgage market, there w- there is a lot of concern. I mean, uh, mortgage rates have gone up a lot. Uh, people who... Uh, took out mortgages before the pandemic. Many of them haven't seen much of a change yet, but of course, as time goes by, the number of people who are affected uh, does go up. Um, People who are on fixed payment variable rate mortgages, many of them haven't seen much happen yet, but there's concern about where that's going to go. So we always have to worry that the landing might get a little harder. Um, But if we can continue to see the economy uh, growing, uh, maybe not as robustly as it is now, but uh, certainly not dipping into a recession and inflation coming down. That's the scenario everybody would really like to see. We are speaking to William Robson, president and CEO of the C.D. Howe Institute. Uh, that institute's um, Monetary Policy Council is recommending to the Bank of Canada that it uh, that it uh, move forward and raise rates by uh, 25 basis points to 5% uh, and then reduce them down to 4.25% by July of 2024, uh, basically saying that the rate should be 
kept at five percentage points until January of 2024. Now, Mr. Robson, uh, compared to um, other nations, how are we doing in our fight against inflation compared to, let's say, the U.S. and other G7 nations? Well, it's a bit of a mixed bag in the details, but the broad strokes are pretty similar. Uh, everybody kind of, in retrospect, overdid it uh, during the pandemic. Uh, you know, governments spent and borrowed like crazy, and central banks bought a lot of the debt and cranked out all this money. And then you saw uh, rates of inflation go up everywhere. Um, Canada's not doing too badly because our inflation rate has come down quite a bit. Um, and... Uh, uh, inflation's down in in most countries, but not uh, as encouragingly. In the UK, they're a mess. Uh, they've uh, got additional problems that we don't have with uh, the with Brexit having really uh, messed up their uh, ability to produce. Uh, the United States is the one that matters the most to us, and people are watching the tea leaves there very carefully. Uh, like us, they've got a very strong labor market, uh, maybe a, a bit more signs of cooling. Uh, but uh, the Fed has many of the same concerns that the Bank of Canada does, that uh, going to what you had said earlier about inflation having come down quite nicely from its peak, but maybe now getting stuck at the level uh, that it is. Uh, so they're watching wage growth and so on. The one thing the U.S. has that we don't have is they've got faster growth of productivity. They've got stronger business investment than we do. So they can afford to run their economy a little hotter over time than we can just because they don't have that mismatch between growing demand and, and not so rapidly growing supply. So if we had higher business investment, if we had higher productivity growth, if we had people's real earnings rising uh, at, at a faster rate and, and more like what we're seeing in the United States, uh, that would make the prospect a bit brighter. Uh, I did say final question, but I have just one more for you. And that's just the light at the end of the tunnel. I, I try to be, remain an optimist, uh, uh, and I think our listeners do as well. Do you think we will start seeing cuts sometime in 2024, then early 2024? Yes, I, I do think so. The Monetary Policy Council's sort of median vote, the consensus vote, was that the overnight rate should stay, the target should stay at 5% uh, through to January of next year. And after that, they see it coming down because inflation should continue to go down. You could argue that this 25 basis point hike, this this further increase from where it is now 475 to 5 was kind of like an insurance thing, uh, uh, maybe not needed. And, and, and they're not looking for more increases beyond that. Only one of the members of the council uh, was recommending a further increase. So the consensus... Uh, if you can talk about a consensus, certainly kind of like the center of gravity of where people are thinking is that inflation uh, is going to come down. The only caveat, you know, like if you'd asked me the same question mm -hmm. uh, a few months ago, I would have said much the same thing. I thought we were very close to the peak, if not quite there. Uh, now the peak's a little higher. Why is that happening? Well, it's because the economy is stronger than expected. So, uh, you know, often with monetary policy, you got these kind of good news, bad news stories. And, and on the whole, I, I'm, I'm happy to see the economy growing as it is. Uh, I've been very happy to see inflation coming down. In fact, it's pretty much doing what the Bank of Canada uh, in its last projection said that it should. So I, I still, you know, notwithstanding having missed it the last time round, I don't think that the overnight rate is going to go much higher than this. I think people want to, you know, hang in there. Uh, uh, be ready that the economy might soften a little bit. But when, for those who are old enough to remember when, uh, you know, interest rates went up much higher than this, uh, you know, even into double digits, that's not the kind of scenario we're looking at this time. 
Mr. Robson, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, we'll have to get in touch again and uh, see uh, whether things are working out as, as well as I'm hoping they will. Well, uh, in this city, interest rates uh, play such a big role in our real estate industry and so many other things. Uh, I'm sure we will definitely be talking again. Thank you so much. Very good. Okay. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Let's revisit our top story. During the 3 o'clock hour, we talked a little bit about interest rates. Uh, uh, New economic numbers released by Stats Canada today show that employment numbers in Canada rose by 60,000 people. So we're still uh, growing the economy, still hiring lots of people. And that is, of course, impacting uh, our fight against uh, inflation. Of course, uh, we spoke to um, the president and CEO of the C.D. Howe Institute, uh, William Robson. Mr. Robson is part of that institute's Monetary Policy Council that does advise the Bank of Canada. Uh, And the C.D. Howe Institute is basically recommending that the bank keep the target rate at 5%. So basically um, move it up next week on July 12th and hold it at 5 percentage points until January of 2024 and then only reduce it to 4.25%, so three quarters of a full point drop by July of 2024. Uh, He explained why rates should go up to 5%. Take a listen. The short answer is that the economy is continuing to do better uh, than expected. There's good news um, in that inflation has come down quite a bit from its peak, uh, so we're we're moving in the direction that people wanted to see, and in a sense, the strong economy is is more good news. I mean, ideally, what you'd like is to see inflation get right back down to two percent uh, without going through a recession. But when the group looked at just how strong the economy is, they thought unlikely that inflation is going to continue to decline all the way back to two percent without a bit more restraint from the Bank of Canada. So that's why they called for a hike. So most economists and analysts are expecting a hike, not all certainly, but they do expect a quarter point hike uh, next Wednesday. Now this all comes as a new survey from TransUnion shows that nearly one in three Canadians can't cover their debt. Uh, TransUnion surveyed 956 Canadian adults and found that 32% of respondents expect are, are expected to be unable to pay off their current bills or loans in full. So you can see the impact uh, f- on Canadians who, in many cases, had those low variable rate mortgages, and those are all running out. And then now they're hitting into, uh, heading into this brick wall uh, called reality, and it's not good, that's for sure. Uh, joining me now to talk a little bit about uh, rate hikes by uh, the Bank of Canada, more importantly, the impact it's having on interest rates uh, at your local bank, and ultimately your mortgage, is Ron Butler. He's a mortgage broker at Butler Mortgages. Ron, thank you for joining us today. 
Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, lots of talk, uh, lots of chatter about next week and a potential rate increase. Uh, what's your thinking, first and foremost, on that? Do you, did you expect a rate increase next week? Yeah, I'm 65-35. There will be a 25-beep increase. Uh, what are you seeing in regards to just so far uh, on, on housing starts in Toronto, Vancouver, just broadly uh, in this country? How much of an impact have these rates had just on housing starts? Well, they've actually had a massive impact on housing starts, uh, which is a lagging indicator, and we're not going to see the total horror of it for another six or eight, maybe even 12 months. I mean, the reality of life is is that development financing, mortgages for development, are just too expensive to start the projects. And they're, in many cases, because they're so expensive, the actual projects don't pencil correctly, and the lender says, well, we don't believe there's any way to do this mortgage. So the reality is, in 2024, the highest possibility is we'll have even worse new construction starts than we're having in 2023, which is less than 2022, and 2022 was less housing starts than 2021. So we're actually going in the opposite direction of the all-government-stated idea that they're going to build so many more houses than we've had before. They're actually building less. And is in your mind, is this an impact on the mom-and-pop builder who builds two or three houses a year or even less? Uh, or, do, or does this impact even the big, bigger, well-known developers as well? This impacts the biggest, the biggest, because at the end of the day, because of the enormous amount of time and red tape we have in, in the two biggest provinces in Canada, in Ontario and British Columbia, the amount of time it takes to get approvals, for the amount of red tape, for the number of studies you have to do for large developments, uh, at these high rates, it's easier just for these very successful companies, big companies, just to push the pause button. Uh, how much longer do you think, uh, and this is a hard one to answer, you know, but how much longer do you think um, Canadians will have patience for this, these rate hikes? Well, Canadians are obviously very, very patient because this is, you know, they've been told consistently that there's going to be affordable housing soon for eight years and there's nothing. So a very patient group of people we are. I, I think what's going to happen is a general kind of economic conundrum by which we really don't have enough housing. We have very high rent and suddenly the waves of immigration, which I mean, I think are great. We need immigration in this country. But these waves of immigration are going to start to say, this is some sort of a trick. I mean, we're coming here, and rents are unmanageable. House prices are unmanageable. And there doesn't seem to be any eventual correction. I mean, I think we're actually heading for some sort of real concern to think about how, how are people going to manage this. It's not just easy to say, well, everybody can move to you know, Manitoba, or they could move to Saskatchewan. They're just not going to do that. So we're, we're actually probably reaching some sort of crisis point by next year. There has been talk that, you know, and even today uh, there was a survey done saying that a third of the of Canadians are having difficulty just paying the bills uh, just because of what we've seen with rate hikes and worry that, uh, you know, their, their five-year closed mortgage is coming to an end and they've got to go back into the market. Uh, 
if they are going into the market, what advice do you give people? Say, look, what should I be doing here? Because the rates continue to go up. Should I be, should I be getting a longer-term close rate or something shorter? What do you generally tell them? Well, we typically always recommend short-term fixed, you know, whether it's a two-year or a three-year. Eventually, the cycle will turn. Eventually, there will be some sort of severe economic downturn in Canada and probably in most Western countries. And it will result in lower interest rates. I mean, eventually the damage done by these high rates will start to take effect, and they will achieve their goal of eventually having lower rates and and modest inflation. But the difficulty that we're going to have is the people in between. We have people renewing today, right now, this week, people who used to have a 3.49 rate or a 3.69 rate are being offered 4.89, 6.29. And that is a very significant increase in payment. Now, first thing people should do is shop. There's more than one lender. There's always more than one lender. It's worth shopping, even if you simply use that information of better rates to leverage your own lender back down and get a better rate offer. But most significantly, think about longer amortization. If this is a really unmanageable payment increase, then ask your lender to re-amortize the mortgage. Most people at renewal are between 20 and 25 years. And most lenders can easily offer 30 years. So that's one means to try to reduce your payment if it is just unsustainable. Are you hearing or seeing desperation? I mean, from customers, from people you're talking to? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, we see. You know, one of the impacts of this, if we do have an increase next week, and I believe we will, I believe that's the majority chance. It's not a certainty, but it's the majority chance. That last quarter percent increase for those people with variable rates that do increase the payment every time the rate goes up, this may be the last straw for some people. I mean, they were just holding on by their fingertips, and this may be the last straw for thousands and thousands of borrowers. And yet it may not be the last one, last rate increase this year. There's talk of another one before the end of the year. So it's, it's not like it, this will be the last, last one, is it? There's no guarantee, although Tiff Macklin, the governor of the Bank of Canada, suggested that he believed 5% was his terminal rate, and one more quarter percent increase, we will hit 5%, and he has suggested in a talk he gave about 10 days ago that that is, in fact, his terminal rate. Well, fingers crossed, uh, it stays there, and uh, we get to the other side of it, uh, because there are a lot of Canadians hurting, and there's lots of... uh, Lots of lots of worry out there, that's for sure. Ron, thank you so much for your time. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. Listen, thank you very much for having me. Much appreciated. All right, let's talk a little bit about another issue that is uh, very important for residents in downtown East Side. Now, if you go to the uh, 2600 block of East Hastings, you can find a, um, a market there, a street market there that many uh, residents there rely upon uh, in regards to their livelihood, the ability to make a little bit, of, uh, make a few dollars. Well, recently we just heard that the city uh, says because of too much congestion in and around the site uh, and some of the spillover of the market onto sidewalks, they're uh, it's creating a safety concern, uh, and they may have to shut it down. Join me now to talk a little bit about the downtown Eastside Street Market is Sarah Blige. She's an advocate for the downtown Eastside and executive director of the Overdose Prevention Society in Vancouver. Sarah, thank you for joining us. 
Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, and it's an interesting market. You know, I dr- I've driven by there a few times. And I've seen uh, seen them, uh, seen it, and it's been very busy when it is open. Walk me through a little bit about the importance of that market for residents uh, in the downtown east side. Yeah, well, it's been, it's been around for over ten years. Um, it's a it's a place for people who are living in tiny little SROs that sometimes especially in the summertime, get hot, like really, really hot inside. So a lot of people come out. Um, it's a way for people to come out and buy, sell, and trade um, items so that people living in extreme poverty uh, are able to make it on a day-to-day basis. As you know, things are becoming more costly, so the market is becoming more important. And I think um, the market has a, a, rep- a reputation it really doesn't deserve. And if people actually knew what the market was all about, um, they would really support it in a, in a way bigger way. The thing is, is it's been moved to a few different locations and it's been a lot bigger in the past and mm-hmm. it's downsized quite a bit. So there's a bit of a spill out into the street, but it's only because it's on such a small lot. It's on a tiny lot. It's the tiniest it's ever been. So, um, but really, uh the majority of people that are selling as vendors in the street market mm-hmm. are seniors and people that have English as second language and, um, you know, people from the downtown east side that are living in extreme poverty. Uh, and so it's just a way for people to get together and and not live in ex- such extreme poverty. And when you say people have a different perception, uh, I'm assuming uh, you, you're saying people view this as stolen goods being sold. Yeah, yeah. So people, you know, like a lot of organizations in the downtown, what people don't understand is a lot of organizations in the downtown east side. In fact, I was at a meeting with a bunch of different organizations just recently who who give items to people or they go to, uh, you know, Costco and buy items and bring them back to the downtown east side or um, they come from donations and it's by selling and trading um, so it's not, it's, you know, visually, I think, uh, or just what the police um, try to frame it as a as something that it actually isn't. So you're telling um, me that, that, that stolen goods aren't sold at, uh, at that market at all? I'm not saying that stolen goods aren't uh, sold at any market. There's lots of different markets um, throughout the city and, and also through the lower mainland. And uh, there are issues with markets, but and this being one of those markets, but the majority is not, mm-hmm. and it's by people that are just trying to make a living, and and living in a very very extreme poverty conditions, and the benefits of the the market are, and it's just such an important place for people to go in the community. It's one of the only places, and if you were to shut it down. Um, it would be way more of an issue for for folks. Where would people go? I don't think the market will just end. I see. So, uh, yeah. So you're saying that the city just should, needs to redouble their efforts to find a new site. Yeah, they need to find a site. They need to. Um, they don't need to be the first council to let these people living in such extreme poverty down. Um, they need to, you know, if, if, it, if it needs, if they want some changes made, they need to work with um, the organization who is running, that just started to run it, give them a chance to run it and, and work with the city to uh, create opportunities for people 
that are living in extreme poverty to actually make enough money or get some food um, and, and some of the other things that they need. Uh, the, there was, I think they, they did, they not shut it down for, uh, for a brief moment. There was not an attack, but somebody used bear spray on some of the, uh, folks that were involved in that market last month. I don't think this is a regular thing, but it did happen. Yeah. Well, the, the, you know, the downtown east side is a, a challenging place right now. I mean, right now there's people, um, that are overdosing all up and down the street. It's, 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 you know, a, a very sad situation on a lot of different levels but it, it's no reason to um get rid of the market um do you, do you think we normalize the normalize this and i understand where you're coming from in regards to some of these people mm-hmm, who are need, mm-hmm. need the dollars uh and i understand all that and and they're desperate in many cases as well but do you, do you not think that if we continue doing this we normalize this behavior that an open street market on the sidewalk or that set of area that is set aside that this yeah. is not the direction that we should be going uh, for, for this city Absolutely. I think that we need a, a market for people in the downtown east side. There has always been one. And uh, people living in poverty, it's a place for people to go. It's a, a place that they um, they go to, to socialize, to buy. Sell. And this is not an economy where we should be making any changes to the way that people are able to get the basic things that they need. Right now wouldn't be the time to do it, even if we were ever to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, people are living in absolute horrible uh, poverty, and people are dying everywhere. And having a place where people can come out, be together, um, find services, trade a can of beans for a thing of rice uh, is shouldn't be an issue. And we need to make it the best that we possibly can. Um, with, with the crackdown from the city, uh, with the housing minister and the provincial government promising more housing, with the conversation in and around the downtown east side and all this stuff, all these issues in the last six months to a year, um, mm-hmm. has anything improved in your mind in the last six months to a year? Well, I think a lot of housing is um, just about to come online. And, you know, in, in speaking with uh, folks that are connected to the housing minister, it looks like, you know, they're really trying to make some plans uh, to, to increase the amount of housing. So, I mean, housing is key to uh, making people's lives better in the downtown east side because homelessness is a big issue. And that's another thing. Uh, you know, we've got thousands of people homeless. We need places for them to go to live. Um, and, and this is one of uh, where the market is, is one of the last places that people actually can be together in a place where they feel safe and comfortable. Sarah, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, no problem. Take care. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. You know, when uh, we were talking about this particular segment, it actually reminded me of my son in elementary school when they were when they were um, uh, teaching sex ed uh, in uh, in school there. And when he took the first course or the class, like uh, the first class, that I had to pick him up after school. And oh my God, the questions he was asking, uh, I was just so uncomfortable to the point at the end of the day, I said, the great questions. Uh, you know what? Why don't you ask mom? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Excellent delegation, I, I actually, Jazz. Jerry Mary Judson is joining us. And, uh, you know, it was interesting because he, he was asking all these questions. I go, uh-huh, uh-huh. And he finally figured out how the human bodies work. And oh, it was boy. All, oh, yeah. He was, he was just giving me the lowdown exactly. <laughs> this is all elementary school. And then he started asking the questions. And I go, great question. You know what? You just mom when you yeah. get <laughs> That's a mom question, actually. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I, I, just, I just threw in the towel. No mas. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I come bearing a not for elementary not for elementary kids but there is a program um, out of the Vancouver Coastal Health and they are teaching to they're teaching um, sexual health to youth but it's between grades 8 and 10 mm-hmm. and they are using other youth to do it let's have a listen shall we I think we should talk about this oh, come on why not people might misunderstand what we're trying to say you know but it's a part of life Do you remember your sex ed classes? I don't know about you, but I felt a little odd that the same man who taught me math was also trying to teach me about sexual health. But in Metrovan, there's a program doing sex ed a little differently. Bold Learning for Understanding Sexual Health, or BLUSH for short, delivers sexual health education to youth by youth. I spoke with Maddie Baker, an incredibly cool 17-year-old who volunteers with the BLUSH program to help get a better understanding. What really made BLUSH a significant thing and like what kind of attracted to me about it is just like knowing that it was bringing tools to younger students and it was giving these tools of like navigation. It's kind of like a compass. Everyone has a very individual experience of like relationship and sex and you know how they're going to interact with romantic platonic all of that but blush gives this like foundation of consent you know and healthy relationship bodily autonomy and really emphasizes those things that help students interact much more healthily in their older years and it kind of just like helps to unlearn some of the behaviors that you learn from the media or like porn or things that you're just kind of like generally digesting from your everyday life that you might not want to have actually in your relationships because they are not the healthiest way of being and coexisting with someone else. What are your responsibilities with blush? Like when you first start with blush and you first get your training, you are sent a bunch of like manuals and readings to do to kind of understand what blush is trying to teach and then you go to you travel to different schools in vancouver and like the greater vancouver area so the furthest i went was a school in north van so they have like a schedule that they'll send out every month and you're assigned to different ones they usually try and block it in so if i'm going to like you know tupper i'll go to tupper for like the morning the morning classes and then i'll leave i was also doing this when i was in high school so it was like difficult to manage around my classes to make sure i wasn't like missing too much school of course um and then you come in and you bring a and that script is written by youth educators and it's revisited often like every summer they'll go through and they'll make sure everything's up to date and they'll make sure um you know the program is appropriate for that age range they'll add in things that need to be added in take away things or adjust language a lot of that emphasis is on making sure that everything is clear enough that it can be understood by students and when you go into classes and you teach these classes we try and do it in a very like informal way that kind of emphasizes that we are not teachers per se like people in positions of power in that classroom it's more of like we're all learning about sex ed together everyone's sexual health understanding is a journey and we're all trying to learn what we can and then we use like interactive kind of some there are some forms of like students engaging with it where they're like they take you know what's a high risk activity versus a low risk activity and really trying to like bring them into the learning it's not just us speaking to the kids it's more of like the kids are involved in their own learning blush really focuses a lot on like the dynamic of like consent and healthy 
relationships rather than like a biological part of sex ed that is still touched on but there is just more of an emphasis on like how do you exist with this other person in a way that you're both mutually respecting each other so like if someone wanted to get involved in volunteering with blush what would they do the bch has um you can just search up Blush and they'll, they'll have an application form and you can send that right in to Justin. I would definitely recommend getting involved with the program. They do batches of like volunteer recruitment. So if you don't get in one year, I wouldn't be discouraged. Apply the next year. Um, it is a really incredible program. And it's something that has, you know, changed me and my perspective on sex ed a lot. For more information on the Blush program, you can visit vch.ca slash services dash resources under the letter B. Now, I don't know about you, but if I could go back and have the option, I would rather have these conversations with somebody like Maddie from the Blush program instead of my math teacher. <laughs> did, you, did you really? It was the math teacher who actually... <laughs> Was run the sex ed class? In, I remember grade eight and nine, it was my English teacher. So it was a little bit cooler. She was like one of those cool English teachers. But that's not bad. Yeah, that's okay. But like when I was in elementary, yeah, it was like my homeroom. This dude taught me everything. And now he has the overhead slide of all of the anatomy. And I'm like, this feels different. I don't know. Maddie sounds so confident. Oh my gosh. Oh, she's, yeah, she's a, she's a lovely gal. She's got her whole life ahead of her. She's going to go to UBC in the fall and she's going to keep on volunteering with Blush when she's, when she's there. So thank goodness for that. That is so amazing because she can relate to the students and vice versa. So I think that is is fabulous. Uh, Since I got you here, we were talking to Eric Alper a little earlier uh, today in regards to when is it the right time uh, for an artist to stop touring? Mm. Uh, What do you think of that? I don't know. I think like as long as you can visit, like Mick Jagger straps those New Balance sneakers on and he goes on stage and he does the thing with the Rolling Stones. Stones. Like I'm wearing an Iron Maiden shirt right now. I would totally, I've never seen any of these like old sort of, I call it like uncle rock like bands yet, but I really do. I like the classic rock. I would see uncle Steve rock. Miller. Yes. I've never even heard of that term. Uncle rock. Yeah. Or it's like, you know, if like, Creedence Clearwater Revival was doing something. I would go would see go. that. I totally would. But uh, I'm just like, I don't know if I, all the best to Madonna and like get it, girl. But like, I don't know. I'm just <laughs> they, more of an but, Uncle Rock know, kind of girl. Yeah. But you know, any of these artists, though, whether it's Uncle Rock or Madonna, they can fill a stadium, right? That's that the they can. People will go and like all age ranges will go. I'm not even sure Drake could fill BC Place, although I think he's doing two shows here, right? So it's pretty close. Okay. But he, he I mean, he always fill Rogers Arena, but he's, I don't think he could do BC, BC plays. He's not a stadium guy. No, you know? that's the thing, yeah, right? Yeah. I don't think a lot. Some of them are. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, Taylor Swift, but oh, uh, yeah. but I just think that you know, twenty years from now, when there's a revival tour, the next generation of Uncle Rock, like, who's gonna be? <laughs> That's a good question, right? Like, who's gonna fill BC Place or whatever it is, right? Right. I'm trying to think of like the 1975, I guess, but I don't even think. Yeah. No. Exactly. Exactly. Jerry, thank you. Thank you. That's our Jerry Mir Judson talking about, uh, of course, uh, Maddie Baker, who works with the Blush Program in regards to providing sexual education for young people. How about that? Kids. Uh, relating to kids, which I think is fabulous. Although she's not a kid, she's heading off to UBC. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always listen to the Jazz Joe Hall Show live Monday to Friday from 3 to 6 p.m., on 980 CKNW and connect with me on Twitter at Jazz Joe Hall BC. Talk to you next time.